There's been a lot of talk about identity lately, but how far does it go? And is it possible to be wrong? We went to the University of Washington to find out. Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I, I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go into whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether your sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'll be like, what? <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I would say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside, I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> so if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason need to do that now. If that's where you feel like mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're 6'5". If you truly believed you're 6'5", I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong, like, that's wrong to believe in it, because, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So, I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six-foot-five Chinese woman. Yes. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six-foot-five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you are six foot five, or Chinese, or a woman. It shouldn't be hard to tell a five nine white guy that he's not a six foot five Chinese woman, but clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult?
It shouldn't be hard to tell a 5'9 white guy that he is not a 6'5 Chinese woman. And yet it is. For some. What would cause intelligent people to affirm obviously false statements? There is a complete lack of of common sense. There is a complete lack of observation of reality for the sake of something else. What is that something else that has taken the place of truth and reality? What would cause intelligent people to affirm obviously false statements? have a friend who moved from this area to Seattle a while back, and he wrote me this week and said, At my work, they continue to hire transgender people. To be honest with you, it is getting harder in some cases to tell what is a real woman and what is not a real woman anymore. And so today we live at a time in this country where it is feelings over truth. And emotions over reality. Truth and reality, what is real, what is true, is no longer accepted as reality and truth. Because there's something more important, and we saw it in some of those responses. Well, if you feel like you're a 6'9", 6'5", Chinese woman, then... Good for you. <laughs> it's one thing for someone to feel that way. It's quite another thing for society to accept that that's what they are. Today, emotions have more validity than obvious truth and physical reality. Post-truth denial of realities requires one to accept that how a person feels is what matters most. And you could tell the, the tension and the conflict that this brought as the questions wore on, couldn't you? At the beginning, it was like, sure, I can accept that you're a woman. Absolutely. Good for you. And then the line of questioning continued until it became so un true based on the reality that was standing in front of them that they had a hard time accepting that part. Feelings over truth, emotions over reality. In our series of messages and lessons from the book Stand Up, Stand Strong by Sarah Barrett, we come today to a section that deals with this whole gender confusion and this transgender question that is uh, everywhere, it seems, in our culture uh, today. So let's start with some biblical foundation. We've already done that in our song service. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. And that's what we believe, right? 
taken right out of the Psalms, that wonderful Amy Grant song from so long ago. That's what we believe, right? Until that word contradicts how I what? Feel and what I want. I'm okay with the Bible as God's inspired and authoritative word until it comes through and it tells me something that I don't want to hear or it tells me to do something that I don't want to do or it tells me I can't do something or be something that I want to. Some biblical foundation. First of all, we are created by God in His image. We are created by God in His image. I told the story in our Bible class this morning about a, a man I was talking to who was at our house doing some work, and he heard that I was a preacher, and so he asked me, he said, I, I always, when people are willing to admit that they believe in the Bible, that they believe in God, I always like to ask them a question. I said, okay, shoot. And he said, what is the most important verse in the Bible? And I thought, oh, well, there's this one, there's that one, there's this one, there's that one. And so, you know, I, I tried to protect myself and save face and gave him three or four instead of just one. And he said, you want to know what mine is? I said, sure. He said, Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, if you don't start there, if you don't believe that, then everything that comes after that is not going to matter. And I just kind of put my head down and said, well, I was going to say that one next. <clears throat> That's God's design. And either we believe that or we don't. Either we believe the Genesis account in the first couple of chapters or we don't. We believe that mankind is created male and female in the image of God. We believe that he saw that uh, a relationship with each other was ideal. And so he created us male and female and instituted marriage, holy matrimony. And that is from God. Jesus affirms that teaching. In Matthew chapter 19, Scripture affirms it throughout Old Testament Gospels and New Testament, the rest of the New Testament. We are created by God in His image. That's where we start. That gives us our identity. That gives us our self-esteem. That gives us our value. And it gives us our purpose to glorify and honor the one who made us in His image. But it doesn't stop there. Genesis 1 and 2 goes on to chapter 3. And there we read about the fall of humanity into sin. We read about that event beginning at the earliest time in the Garden of Eden when everything was perfect and everything was wonderful and everything, to quote the book of Genesis, everything was very good. Not just good, very good. And yet Satan tells a lie and Adam and Eve fall for it because of their own selfishness and lust. And now humanity has fallen. And we all face the consequences of our sins and other sins today. 
The book of Romans tells us about that. In the first three chapters, it talks about how the Jews had sinned, the people of God, even though they had the law, they didn't keep it. Uh, Chapter 2, the non-Jews sinned because they should have known that there was a creator that made all of this and worshipped him rather than the creation. And yet they would not. And so it sums it up in chapter 3, there is none righteous, no, not even one, quoting from the Old Testament, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And in chapter 7, Paul really zooms in on it from a personal perspective. In chapter 7, he doesn't just talk about the fall of humanity, he talks about his own fallenness. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the very things I find myself doing. And that chapter ends with this great paragraph, what a wretched man I am, he cries out in frustration. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And he answers his own question, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Romans 8 begins with that great, great statement, there is therefore now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not that there's no condemnation because I've never sinned. It's that there's no condemnation because even though I'm a sinner, I am in Christ Jesus. And that is the incredible, wonderful blessing that Tucker led us in in such a wonderful communion meditation as we gathered around the table. Oh, cleanser of the mess I've made. Joyce already Googled it and it's a Point of Grace song, by the way. And we love Pony of Grace. Wonderful. Oh, cleanser of the mess I've made. Let me challenge you this week to pray a few times addressing God in that way. Oh, cleanser of the mess I've made. Why? Because we've all made a mess of our lives. All of us. Every single one of us. The messes look a little different. But we're all a mess. And God could have washed his hands of us just like Pilate tried to wash his hands of Jesus and said, that's it. I gave you everything. You decided you didn't want it. And so you're all condemned. And he would have been completely justified in doing that. Jesus would have been completely justified in saying, I ain't going down there. They had their chance. Oh, cleanser of the mess I've made. You've made a mess of your life. I've made a mess of mine. We've all sinned and come short of God's glory. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me? And through Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors, as Romans 8 8 says. And the psalmist in Psalm 139 declares this, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That is such an incredible psalm, and we'll look at it again next week as we look at some pro-life issues. But Psalm 139 says, God knows everything about me. He knows me from start to finish. He knows every cell. He knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And that affirms two things. Number one, it affirms that God created me. And number two, number two, it affirms that I was made on purpose. I'm made the way I'm made, not by accident, not by chance. But I am fearfully and wonderfully made by the Creator. 
We'll tell the story next week, but in John chapter 9 is a wonderful story of how the disciples and Jesus are walking along and they come across this man who was born blind. And the disciples asked Jesus the question, who sinned, either him or his mother? So who was it? Why was this man born blind? That's the question we want to ask always. Why? And Jesus says, eh, wrong question. This man was made for the same reason everyone who has ever been made was made. And that is to glorify God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. But that's not what our culture sees it as. And so secondly, let's look at gender in the eyes of culture. Gender in the eyes of culture. First of all, culture sees an assigned sex. It's based on our physical anatomy at birth. And so they assign us a sex. Culture doesn't declare that this one is male and that one is female. Culture assigns a sex with the understanding and the expectation that that is fluid. It may change later in their life. And then culture speaks of gender identity. This is what you feel you are. And so you have terms like transgender, which is different than your uh, physical anatomy shows, than the gender you were at birth, or cisgender, which is the one who stays with that. It's gender identity. It's gender based on feeling. Something those college students would be quick to accept, but not so much some other things. And then thirdly, gender expression. This is how one publicly demonstrates their gender identity, such as clothing, activities, preferred pronouns, hormone treatment, sex change surgery, and so forth. Sarah Barrett writes, this ideology is being rooted in the minds of children and ingrained throughout every facet of society. We're overwhelmed with it today, as if it's a grand attempt by all the powers that be to make it normal, to normalize it. There are several links to articles in your sermon outline, and one of those is to uh, a New York Times article that one of our members uh, shared with us uh, in the past week or two, and and it's... um, (laughs) it's from the New York Times, not exactly a bastion of conservative thought, but it's actually, I think, a well-crafted article that shares a bit from both sides. And one of the things that it's talking about is not just right or wrong about uh, children and young people deciding which gender they are based on their feelings, but also talking about how parents are left out of the loop on it in some cases. And how even parents who are okay with their child who was born a daughter deciding that she's a boy instead. But even that group is saying, wait a minute, you you can't force these things on my child without my input. That is something, even those who would agree with that say, this should be something that is a family decision, a parental decision. Not based on school or based on media or based on culture. One person has written, transitioning is a social and surgical solution to a problem of our own making. We're cultivating confusion, then, quote, treating it 
by damaging the body to match the newly damaged mind. And I think that is right on target. We're convincing our children and others through our culture that you're damaged physically, you need to change, and then we treat this damaged thought by damaging the body. And it hurts me to think about what that child is going to be like and what they're going to think 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Or this young adult, 20 years from now. And there are already some, we even had someone share about it in class. There are already some of those articles from individuals who have done that in years past, now putting out videos imploring people, don't do this. Don't do this. Deal with the issue. Don't just change the body to match the way you feel at this moment, at this time. But that's where we are, right? Right or wrong doesn't matter right now. What matters is how I feel right now. How I feel a day from now or a year from now, that also doesn't matter. It's only my reality today. Not anyone else's feelings, not anyone else's thoughts, not any authority from God. How I feel right now. Gender in the eyes of culture. But finally, let's look at gender by God's design. I think that is the answer. It is God's design, fearfully and wonderfully made. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God created them male and female in His own image. And so God created and designed us purposefully. He created and designed us with a purpose, His purpose. And so secondly, the sex change surgeries, as they're called, hormone treatment and so forth, they do not change a a person's sex or gender, nor do they bring fulfillment and peace. A male is still a male. The chromosomes still say male or female. The feelings will come and go. The, The changes may be made physically, but it doesn't make them into something that they're not. It just changes the appearance. And unfortunately, in many cases, it can destroy the life. And it doesn't even work. If the goal is fulfillment and peace, it doesn't work because it doesn't bring that. It can't bring that. Only God can bring that. And confronting God and disobeying God and challenging God on the way He has made us is not the answer that brings peace. It's not. And one thing that helps us understand this discussion is this last point under letter C. Personality and character traits are varied. We understand that, right? Some of you are really, really older than I am, but you remember growing up, right? You have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that are growing up, right? And you see them and their friends and you see yourself and your friends. Are you all exactly alike? Of course not. You have the umbrellas of male and female, but underneath those umbrellas there is a wide swath of personal characteristics, uh, personal desires, talents, abilities, characteristics, all of those things. 
non-conforming personalities and characteristics. Those would be the ones that aren't showing outwardly as a, as a traditional male or a traditional female, whatever that means. Non-conforming personalities and characteristics do not indicate a person is trans- transgender. It simply means they're not like some other people. Temperament is different from sexuality and God's design for male and female is big enough to encompass individuals who don't fit cultural stereotypes. One of the amazing surprises to me is this whole transgender thing is based on cultural stereotypes. Trying to make someone who is not female have all of the cultural, culturally stereotypical outward characteristics of someone who is. In academics, in athletics, artistry, they're both male and female. Academics, athletes, artists, all of them. And all others as well. You find them, some of them are male, some of them are female, but they're either male or female. They have different gifts, they have different likes, they have different talents, they have different looks. Some of them stand differently, some of them talk differently. But they're either male or female. As God created them. King David wrote poetry and played a musical instrument. But he was no less a man. Martha was working and serving in the kitchen while Mary sat at Jesus' feet. Both were 100% women. So letter D, before we close, how do we respond in the midst of this gender confusion? I started to just have one bullet point here, and that is, I don't know. (laughs) And that's sort of the answer. But like a good preacher, I'll go on talking anyway. How do we respond in the midst of this gender confusion? Number one, practically and respectfully affirm truth. Yes, do that practically. Yes, do that respectively. Yes, do that considerately. Yes, do that in love. But do that. Affirm truth. I love this quote. Unconditional love does not mean unconditional affirmation and approval. In spite of what our culture and society say. To love unconditionally, they say, you have to approve and condone everything this person believes and stands for and does. And that's just not true. It's not true. That's not unconditional love. It's not the love that God had for his people in the Bible. He never did that. He unconditionally loved them. And he gave them a degree of acceptance, such as we see from Jesus during the, in the Gospels. But he never approved or condoned or affirmed sinful behavior. Never. And we must not either. Secondly, lovingly care for those struggling. And that's the difference. We care about people who are struggling with the gender confusion. We genuinely care about them. And hopefully through our actions, they will know that. They may not like what we say. They may not agree with what we say. They may choose to live their lives completely different. But when they walk away, they will know that we care about them. 
We can offer godly counsel, support, and love as individuals wrestle with their emotions. Showing love doesn't mean hiding the truth, again, but it means sharing the truth and walking with the hurting as they journey down the hard road of healing. It's not immediate. It takes time, compassion, sacrifice, courage, perseverance. We want them to change right now, and they just won't. Will we be okay with that? Will we be willing to walk along beside them and share their struggle with them? Number three, live out and affirm biblical masculinity and femininity. And again, there's a wide difference there. But live out and affirm biblical masculinity and femininity. Accept and appreciate the way God made you. Physically, emotionally, mentally, personality-wise, God made you that way. Accept that and use these gifts to honor Him and serve others. Yes, grow and develop and mature. But don't deny who you are and don't deny how God made you. I love our young families here. And I pray for them regularly. And I love the way they're raising our children. Yes, I said our children. I love the way they're raising our children because they're raising our boys to be men of God. And they're raising our girls to be women of God. And that's as much a challenge, that's more of a challenge today than I've ever seen it in my life. Ever. But that's how they're raising them. And I applaud and appreciate them. We'll close with these two scripture quotes from Genesis 1 and from Psalm 139. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. This morning, if we can bring you closer to your creator, come as we stand. Sing our song together.